Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Causes or Cures. I'm Dr. Eeks, your host. Thanks for joining in. I hope you guys stick around, uh, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. So this was a fun podcast to record because it's about a fungi-killing compound named after America's favorite actor and the internet's sweetheart. Of course, I'm talking about Keanu Reeves. And while there was a lot of media buzz about a fungi-killing compound named after Keanu, the research itself is really neat, with important implications for our health and the health of the environment and Mother Earth, so to speak. Mother Earth, Father Earth. <laughs> um, joining me today is Dr. Sebastian Gertza, who was one of the researchers and lead authors of the study. In the podcast, he will tell us more about the work he does and break down the study, which is very complicated, so we understand it better. He'll describe the practical implications of the research and why he and his team named the fungi killing compound after Keanu and not John Wick. Okay, so give me a few seconds here, guys, and let's connect to Sebastian. All right, everybody, we are here connecting with Dr. Sebastian Gertze, and he wrote a really interesting paper, um, him and some fellow authors, and there's been a lot of buzz about these chemicals, these fungus-killing chemicals, so to speak, named after Keanu Reeves, but and we're going to get into this, and I'm going to try to pronounce, you know, Sebastian, when I looked at the title of your paper, I was like, okay, I know what like five of those words mean. But um, anyways, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, yeah, I tried to and <clears throat> tried to bring some light into the darkness and <laughs> the scientific jargon and cut through it. <laughs> um, yeah, so the title of your paper, Ecological niche-inspired genome mining leads to the discovery of crop-protecting non-ribosomal lipopeptides featuring a transient amino acid building block. And <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, I got it. Um, but no, and this was published in the, the Journal of the American Chemical Society. And we're going to get into that. But first, um, can you tell us a little bit more about you and the work you do and the, the research that you're interested in? Mm -hmm, sure. Uh, so I myself, um, I'm a trained um, organic, bioorganic chemist um, with like a decade long um, work experience in uh, chemical biology and life science. So um, I did a little bit of organic chemistry uh, in my uh, diploma thesis. Um, and then I took that with me and did some immunology and vaccine development during my PhD time. And for the rest of my uh, scientific career, I worked in uh, like chemical biology, life science. So basically making small molecules to help people um, either to combat diseases or just to understand the basic biology um, that is needed to actually um, develop cures for different diseases. Wow, I can't believe you willingly went into organic chemistry. That's just for our listeners. That's like the class that people run from. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, I, I I understand why a lot of people uh, don't really like this, and I'm I'm not sure. Probably a lot of uh, psychological people and psychotherapists would say, "Yeah, you're wrong." But um, I think there are like usually two kinds of people: either people who actually understand organic chemistry and like it, and also um, 
um, are interested in the practical aspects of it because there's usually not a most organic chemists like have to be good in the practical sense in the laboratory otherwise you um, die too quickly um, <laughs> uh, and I think yeah. the rest is just like yeah finds it uh, rather boring or just it's hard it's hard yeah. it's uh and there's like a, an abstract element to it you know you have to kind of like see how the I mean, I just remember the, like the mo the molecular kits, and um, mm. people would drop out of their chemistry majors, you know, in college and 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 then in grad school, um, because yeah, it's just. But that's great that you that you get it. Not many people do. Um, okay, so I read your paper, and I'm not even going to pretend that I understand, you know, the majority of it. But I I got the gist of it, and it's it's very interesting. But let's start with this statement. Genomic mining combined with molecular biology methods can be used to identify new antimicrobials to fight the antimicrobial crisis. So mm -hmm. yeah, as, as simple as you can, what is this antimicrobial crisis? Okay, so uh, the antimicrobial crisis basically describes the world we are living in at the moment. Um, that means that um, most of your listeners will know that if they have like an infectious disease, um, they usually go to a physician and they describe antibiotics. You take them and then usually um, <clears throat> your immune system can, can take care of the rest and you get better and the infectious disease um, vanishes. Um, the problem is just uh, that a lot of those uh, infectious disease pathogens um, actually get resistant to most of the antibiotics and antifungal medicines we are using today. So that means if you have a severe infection <clears throat> with a multi-resistant um, bug, um, you run out of options pretty quickly. So that means if you are infected by one of those and, for example, um, develop a sepsis or something like this, you your chances are very high that you die or that you develop very chronic um, illnesses, even if you can fight through it. So unfortunately, those resistant um, uh, bacteria and fungi have already spread around the world uh, and can be found almost everywhere. And we are in desperate need to develop um, more and obviously also new antibiotics to combat those resistant um, pathogens. Okay, so we are living the antimicrobial crisis, so to speak. Yeah, so um, I also have some friends um, who are, uh, who are uh, doctors and they work here in hospitals in Germany and they also have, from their personal experience, they see that usually when you have a um, patient um, that is in clinic and suffers from um, an infectious disease, they usually check um, in the microbiology lab um, against which uh, different antibiotics um, the particular type of bacteria is already resistant. And they tell me all the time, like, seems to be exponential increasing in the last couple of years. And that's also what I hear from our colleagues uh, two, two floors downstairs. Um, because they are part of the national reference for fungal infections for Germany. And they also see a static increase uh, in multi-resistant fungal, uh, fungal pathogens. So I think we are in the middle of the antibiotic crisis and unfortunately it will get worse. 
Right. So that's not, that's not good. Um, and just, you know, that, that means that things are just going to run around there. And we're not going to be able to treat them basically. Um, hmm. Well, there we are. Um, okay. This other word in here that I don't, I'm not sure our, uh, listeners would be familiar with genetic mining. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. Uh, as simple as you can. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, when people use uh, the word genome mining, um, you basically look at the genome of a particular organism. In our case, it was a bacterium. And then you have special software and algorithms, um, which just analyze the genome for you. That is actually also pretty quick, to be honest. So like combing one of those genomes takes like maybe five to 10 minutes uh, for the software, for the algorithm. Um, and then you get an output um, where the algorithm predicts you um, different genes um, that are usually associated uh, with producing proteins that can um, create new and interesting molecules. So we basically just took the genome we had, um, ran the software, and um, then got a lot of different um genes that we analyzed manually and looked if one of those genes uh, looks promising to produce a compound that uh, has antibiotic or antifungal activity. Okay, so basically, you looked for the genes, which are the codes, and they make these proteins, and the proteins Mm -hmm. have different functions. Yeah, and Uh, they can make, they do the chemistry, basically, and make the cool new molecules. Right, right. And the the killing the bad guys, so to speak. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> the bad guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm just I'm being very reductive there. Um, the bad bacteria, the bad bugs. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so you were looking for antimicrobials in Pseudomonas. And yeah. that's a bacteria that is everywhere. Um, and if you go to medical school or if you take an exam in medical school, every time you see rash from a hot tub, you're like, oh, that's pseudomonas. It was mm. kind of <laughs> one of those buzzword situations. Um, so why were you and your team looking at pseudomonas? Um, so there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, pseudomonas are very prof- prolific um, producers of natural products. So uh, it seems to be the case that some um um, bacterial species are just very prone to produce a lot of different chemical compounds and Pseudomonas, the, the genus of Pseudomonas is one of them. Um, and uh, we were also interested in, and this is the uh, from the title of our paper, the archaeological site, because our lab um, also focuses on um, microbial predatory prey interactions. And the interesting thing is that um, we looked at the predatory prey um, relationship between um, this bacterium and its potential microbial predator, which is an amoeba. And this amoeba usually feeds on bacteria and was found associated with those bacteria. And um, we see this ecological niche actually as a very interesting source for new cool molecules, because as you can imagine, evolution is happening all the time. And if you've got a predator, that likes to eat you, you maybe come up with some kind of interesting thing that can actually protect you from the predator. And in the case of Pseudomonas, as far as we can tell, 
Um, they came up with a lot of interesting natural products that are very toxic to the amoeba. And um, basically, that's their defense mechanism against this microbial predator. And those huh. are the major reasons we were actually interested um, in Pseudomonas. Um, so that was the major reasons you were interested in Pseudomonas. So that Pseudomonas is basically coming up with ways to defend itself against the amoeba. And the amoeba wants to eat the Pseudomonas. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that makes sense. And, you know, yeah, we're always evolving. Um, all right. So can you walk us through these, how you identify these three fungus killing, I guess, lipoproteins. So what's mm -hmm. that? A, a fat attached to a protein? Um, uh, yeah, basically. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and how, um, and so, and these, these, are these, Lipoproteins, you're calling them the keanomycin? Mm. Okay, keanomycin A through C. How, how did you mm -hmm. identify them? Um, so there, uh, there we had the molecular biology part come in. So um, usually what we do is if we identify an interesting gene in the organism, um, we just go ahead and say, okay, we want to know, um, is this actually responsible for producing something that's killing the amoeba? Uh, so we just deleted this gene, gene basically, so that the bacterium can't produce this toxic compound anymore. And then it became eatable by the amoeba. And uh, with this knowledge in hand, we just said, okay, that seems to be um, the, the correct gene. So it seems to produce something that uh, actually kills the predator. And... From there on, on, we have very big um, fermentation tanks here. So we here at this institute are a bit blessed because we can produce um, fermentation broth in the semi-industrial scale. So we have one 3,000 liter, which I don't know what it is in gallon, uh, maybe 350 worry, gallons or something. 350 gallons or something. No, okay. more. Or like a thousand gallons or something we can produce here fermentation so we've we've got the equipment to do larger scale fermentation and so we basically put the bacterium in a lot of um, uh, nurturing broth and just uh, let it ferment for like one or two days uh, and then afterwards we extract um, those compounds from um, this fermentation broth and purify them. And afterwards, we we test their activity against the amoeba, but also because amoeba and a lot of fungi share a lot of um, similar elements in their structure, um, we also test this uh, against um, pathogenic fungi. So these compounds, so the amoeba can't eat the pseudomonas if the pseudomonas has these compounds? Yeah. Oh, So okay. they basically die. They die oh. and they can't eat it, eat them. Yeah. Oh, the amoeba dies. Okay. But if, if they, and then when you remove them, if you take them out of the pseudomonas, mm -hmm. the amoeba is like chowing down, like it can eat it. That's it. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, interesting. And I, I have this great image in my head of like this fermentation, like, <laughs> a, like a big uh, tank for bacteria. Um mm. Yeah, they, they are actually pretty impressive. It's the thing we show most of our visitors um, because it's like, a, I don't know, it's like uh, like 20 feet high, um, those uh, fermentation tanks. So um, they usually look pretty cool. 20 feet high? 
Yep. Wow, that's huge. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just wow. Um, serious fermentation tanks. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm not sure if people know what the I mean, I know people are familiar with ferment. Can you just say really what fermentation means? Mm-hmm. So they okay. It's a fancy word for saying that um a bacteria is growing in some kind of broth, basically. So we just have like a nutrient broth here, which is just water with like amino acids and some salts and some sugar. So basically you could also drink this or maybe eat the powder. You, I guess you get all the nutrients from it, but um, yeah, it's, it's just a liquid uh, and you can just throw in bacteria or fungi. They find all the nutrients, the amino acids, uh, vitamins that they need. And then they just, um, yeah, divide and get more. So they, they okay. just, yeah, that's basically fermentation. They just multiply, and um, after yeah. all the, yeah, after all the nutrients are gone, um, we can, yeah, harvest, uh, harvest the fermentation broth. Okay. Um. So the keanomycins, and we're going to talk a little bit later about why you named them after Keanu Reeves, but mm-hmm. they, from your paper, they can be beneficial for a few reasons. You write about them being used for crop protection and also possibly drug development against fungal infections down the line. Um, let's start with crop protection. How how can keanomycins be used to protect crops? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we tested the activity of um, Keanomycin A um, against different fungi, so either human pathogens, but also phytopathogens, so basically fungi that um, infect plants. Um, and we were really lucky because um, one of the fungi um, that um, infects a lot of crops worldwide um, is Botrytis cinerea. So it causes gray mold on a lot of different plants. And we saw that um, this particular natural product is actually super active against this. It's like, um, yeah, I mean, you, I, I think the amount you have to put in one liter um, of um, water, for example, um, which inhibits the growth of this fungus completely, you couldn't even see that by the with the naked eye. So it's it's really small, and uh, we um, wanted to see if this actually can also help people who um, work, um, for example, with plants and greenhouses. And we contacted collaboration partners um, in a city close by here in Germany. They are working with uh, different flowering plants and they tested just this fermentation broth. So without the bacteria, so they just basically put a drop on on the leaves of hydrogena and um, infected the plant with this fungus. And we could see that um, just like a drop of this fermentation broth, so nothing was purified or anything. It was just uh, something that came straight out out of the steel tank um, already inhibited um, uh, the growth of this um, uh, phytopathogen like by, yeah, let's let's say like 10 times. So we are pretty sure that we could actually just, um, yeah, apply this fermentation broth uh, to plants and and protect them from this this fungus, which um, destroys a lot of crops worldwide annually. 
And any kind of particular plants? Uh, so I have read um, uh, scientific articles who talk about uh, the capability of this um, fungus to infect over a thousand plant species. Um, so most common would be grapes, strawberries, um, but it can, as I already said, also, for example, infect hydrogena, so flowering, flowering plant. Um, I'm, I'm not a not an expert in fungi because the fun, fungal world is so extremely huge. Um, but as far as I have read, everything you can, or almost everything that grows in a greenhouse can potentially be infected with this fungus. All you had to say for me was grapes and strawberries because they're two, okay. <laughs> two of my yeah, I favorite. Mean, so, um, we, Protect the we, grapes and strawberries at all costs. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so um, you maybe know this phenomenon. You buy a beautiful looking strawberries um, on Monday and think, okay, I'm going to eat them on Tuesday. And then you open the fridge and they're full of this gray mold. Um, yeah, that's very the, familiar. Very yeah, That's the familiar. fungus. That's oh, the fungus. That's the fungus? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That just like hit home. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I think it, that's you... in my refrigerator right now. <laughs> um wow. Okay. And it only takes a little bit to protect it. Yeah, like also yeah, we we just didn't need we didn't use or our collaboration partners we didn't use much, but we already saw like um a significant effect um in um yeah, inhibiting the spread of this fungus. So yeah, we hope we can yeah. further develop this in the in the coming years. Um, now, could you talk a little bit about you know we, pesticides? You know they spray them mm -hmm. on crops and fruits to protect them from fungi and bugs and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. what, what, in your opinion, you know, from an environmental standpoint, would there be benefits to using this kind of thing over traditional pesticides? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Um... Um, there are a lot of different uh, groups of fungicides. Um, but uh, what you can in general say, if, if you have a completely synthetic um, fungicide, uh, they usually have a couple of drawbacks. Uh, so one of this is that um, they are pretty persistent in soil. So it takes like a couple of weeks or months um, that they are actually degraded in the soil. Um, and this means that um, they usually stay in the soil and a lot of fungi come in contact with the fun fungicides. And the problem here is if you, because this is an evolutionary pressure for the fungus, if it comes in contact all the time with different fungicides, it develops um, resistance mechanism, as I already mentioned before, and they become resistant to different fungicides. And here the problem is also that, uh, and this is also, in my opinion, a bit ridiculous that we actually allow this uh, as mankind. Um, there are some fungicides um, who are more or less also used in the clinic. So we are basically putting a lot of different uh, fungicides on crops to protect them from, from fungi. But we basically make all of them resistant against this special class of fungicide, which is also um, a, yeah, a medical used drug. Used in so you can, the yeah. doctor's office for fungal infections. Exactly. So okay. we, uh, we, yeah, by protecting our crops, we um, spread fung uh, fungal resistance towards um, antifungals. And um, in my opinion, 
because there's actually um, a good story here. Um, a couple of years ago, there was one also a natural product that was found. Um, and this also is now used as a crop protection agent. And um, those are, uh, in my opinion, a lot better because they are more biodegradable. That means you spray them, but after a couple of days, they are gone. And that means uh, that um, a lot of fungi don't interact so long with them and they don't have this evolutionary pressure to actually become resistant against those um, natural products that degrade pretty well. Uh, and that's also our hope for the Keanomycins because they are pretty effective, um, but they're also biodegradable because, as you already said, it's basically a fat attached to a couple of um, amino acids, basically a small peptide, and um, those can be degraded in soil fairly quickly, uh, which means that we hope that there are not going to be so many resistant strains against this um, and that it's not such a big burden on the ecosystem and especially a soil ecosystem. And interesting. And just for, for amino acids, like a chain of amino acids makes up a protein, right? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm a chemist, so I have, yeah. I have to gonna, be a bit you're, more you're, precise there. I'm gonna... sorry that this is, uh, like, that comes with the profession. It's like um, you, you consider something a peptide, uh, I think up to like 20, 25 amino acids, um, Put together oh, wow. and if you're you real, go okay. above that you're more like in the protein area so peptide is just like let's uh, say a very small protein okay okay um i forgot that fact um <laughs> oh it's fine it's it's just like there there are some things where, where i i yeah, i'm a stickler for the rules basically <laughs> i understood um but we know, I, I mean, I think everybody listening could understand biodegradable is good. It's earth friendly. It's, um, I guess that's, it's good. It's overall um, a word I think people are familiar with. Um, mm. Okay, let's get into drug development. Um, can you, you mentioned that, that, so in addition to protecting crops, uh, keanomycins could also be used to develop drugs against fungi. Um mm -hmm. What what's that about? So um, we um, are at the moment trying to um, <clears throat> come up uh, with a strategy to uh, synthesize derivatives, so compounds that are very similar to keanomycins, but not the same, um, and try to improve their activity basically um, by uh, modifying uh, this molecular structure. So make it more easily to actually develop this into a real pharmaceutical drug. Uh, the process is a bit, uh, yeah, I think it's a bit complicated. Um, it's also more or less try and error um, based. Um, so you, yeah, you are in front of a fume hood and you synthesize a lot of compounds and hope that your the structural differences uh, you actually synthesize um, help that the, that the molecules get more active but are um, less toxic to the human who is going to be treated with them. And that's usually a um, very long process that takes up a couple of years. And yeah, I mean, the development of a new antibiotic usually takes up about like 10 years time. So we are at the moment, yeah, doing the first baby steps in that direction. So this would be an antifungal? Yes. Okay. And and that takes about 10 years too? Yeah. 10 years to develop. that 
yeah that you have the final drug that you've got fda approval then okay for like 10 12 years something like that yeah and you mentioned it in there a little bit um could you also just why discovering these types of new antifungal treatments can be so difficult like in the developmental stage you know are there they might be toxic to animal cells that kind of Mm -hmm. thing yeah yeah it's it's really it's really difficult um uh because um you never really know which um, toxic effects compound sometimes has on um cells or then on a on an animal um on a complete animal uh so that's something um that you can't really predict that well there are some hints that a medicinal chemist or pharmaceutical chemist can usually spot like uh, if you've got this um chemical moiety um in this compound that's usually bad or another moiety is usually good um but there are also compounds that are used in the clinic um that uh, actually um are not following any of those rules and so it's really really difficult to um, actually know which modifications to one molecule improves um the bioactivity uh, which means like which modification actually improves the capability of the molecule to kill the fungi and and which um change to the structure um maybe makes it less toxic so um it's really something it's a bit of a guessing game and like let's say an educated guessing game. Um, yeah, no, it sounds difficult. And you could, you know, something might look good and then it ends up like killing animal cells. And then you're like, ah, can't use that. Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> can't use that. Um, but this is, I mean, the need for this, right? I mean, fungal infections um, can be very difficult to treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think people can can relate to that. Um, I was curious, did you, this, do you notice, I know that you're, this is very early, but um, mm-hmm. are you concerned about any, you know, toxicity uh, or potential safety issues with the keanomycins? Um, yeah, so um, the problem with most of those lipopeptides is that they also can um, often destroy certain types of cell, especially in humans. So a lot of um, those are usually um, hemolytic, which means they destroy red blood cells. And usually that's not a very good thing if you um, get um, a drug IV that destroys a lot of your blood cells because then your kidneys usually get clogged and uh, you die of multiple organ failure. Um, So those are things we still have to test for and um, to see if we can um, improve the properties of this molecule via chemical synthesis so it isn't um, hemolytic anymore and that we can actually administer it IV. Ah, okay, okay. Hemolytic. So that the for our listeners, that just means mm-hmm. um, breaking up red blood cells. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that that wouldn't be uh that wouldn't be a good thing. Um yeah. but but this sounds, I mean, it sounds very promising and interesting. I mean, and the you know, the it can go in either direction. You know, you might get a benefit with the crops you might get a drug who knows right mm-hmm. yeah that's also something we wanted to promote uh, with this paper um to say especially to the natural product community please don't just focus on uh testing your natural products um against uh, human pathogens but also maybe think about secondary uses especially for crop protection and i think that this like dual you 
uh, I know dual use is usually used in a different content, but um, a context, but um, like that you always have in mind that if it's maybe not worth to develop it into a drug, maybe think about crop protection, think about other applications. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that's, a, that's a great point. And hope, hopefully, hopefully they'll do that. Um, okay, the name I have to ask. So how did you guys name the Keanu, name the, the compounds after Keanu Reeves? Like what was that? What went into that discussion? <laughs> um, yeah, so um, yeah, I have to um, expand a bit on this. Um, so usually uh, there's a rule book how to name new natural products. Unfortunately, I've never looked that um, information up and uh, most people just um, name a new compound after the species it was found in or that is producing the new compound. And I always find that very, very boring because in my opinion, if you if we are working in one of those um, rare fields where you can actually find something new and actually can name it, I mean, not so many people and different other fields have so much um, freedom to actually name something. And um, I talked to my colleagues here in our group who also worked on, on this project. And I said, yeah, let's come up with something more interesting. Uh, and maybe we can also, yeah, uh, just um, honor somebody uh, with this compound. And that was like at the end of last year. And uh, we talked about this and didn't really have a good idea um and like a week later we also talked um about the upcoming um john wick movie uh so the fourth movie in this installment and uh, we chatted a little bit about this and said yeah we should also go to the movies and um then we also talked a bit how great uh, keanu reeves actually is and that he does a lot for charity and that he's just a good guy. And um, yeah, like from that kind of developed to say, okay, why why don't we um, make this compound a tribute to Keanu Reeves and name, name it Keanu Meissen? And I think the, <clears throat> the point where we all agreed on this was when we checked how the mechanism of action of this compound um, actually is. So how does the compound actually kill the fungi? And we are not completely sure how it works. Um, but uh, the experiments we have conducted until now indicate that um, the, <clears throat> the compound permeabilizes the cell membrane of the, um, of the fungus, which in layman terms is basically like you put holes in the surface of the fungus and then it kind of bleeds to death. And we thought, yeah, I mean, that's basically the same thing what Keanu Reeves as John Wick does in his movies. Like he puts a lot of holes in his uh, opponents <laughs> and then they die. And yeah, so we settled on that name. Um, I love that. I love that. And I, you know, and it's when you, you know, to get people interested even in research, right? And like, I think, mm -hmm. and, and you know this, but a lot of research needs funding and needs, you know, you need interest. And then people are like, oh, maybe we should invest in that. I think it was so clever too. And I have no idea what your funding situation is. And like, that's not the, the point of this podcast, but just in mm -hmm. general, like you can generate a lot of buzz that way and get people interested in, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I think that was a uh, smart for that reason too but i but i love this i actually just watched um john the first i'm, I'm late to the party but mm -hmm. i knew that the fourth 
John Wick movie was coming out. So I watched the first three. Mm. So oh, really? Right. I know, like oh. all, like in like mm. in one week, I just said. Okay. Mm. <laughs> I was, and like the first one disturbed me because of the dog dying. Mm. I wasn't ready for that. Um, and I was like, it disturbed me the whole movie. And then mm. like, but the second and the third one, and then when the other, like, I think it's the, the the second or the third movie where the other the dogs come back and kind of like I feel like they avenge the the one dog's death but you know how it is when a dog dies in a movie it just mm. it just clouds everything but um yeah, yeah was... I can imagine it hit home for you <laughs> it's <laughs> it close did. to I... home for you yeah I'm like I'm always like oh does a dog die I can't watch it but it could be like a hundred <laughs> people die and I'm fine I'm like mm. oh I can't watch it that dog dies like no um but yeah I don't know what that says about me but I, um, I think it's a pretty common phenomenon for human is. nature. Yeah. Mm. But why? Like we're okay with a hundred people dying in the a movie, a fictitious movie. Mm. But if a dog dies, we know you know the dog is not dead in real life, but it mm. it bothers us. Maybe um, that's a very good topic for your next podcast, <laughs> where you just um, ask like a social um, social yeah. scientist or social psychologist there, because I would also be very interested in knowing why this is actually uh, reality. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I I don't know what that is. Um, I did talk about Old Yeller on a podcast recently. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but the where they have to shoot the dog who has rabies. That's uh yeah i'm oh. unfortunately not I, I i know that this film is about a dog but i'm not oh familiar gosh. with the plot it's the saddest movie like just it it'll ruin your whole day well i don't know if it'll ruin your day but like for me i can't i can't watch it but yeah the dog gets rabies and they have to shoot the dog but um mm. i did yeah. i i read recently that keanu reeves does know did you see that uh yeah um uh, a friend of mine actually um text me because he i saw that lionsgate so the production company of john wick 4 um had this ask me anything on reddit uh but it was uh, it was a time where i couldn't attend um but um fortunately somebody actually asked the question i would have asked like um if he likes the name and he forwarded me this and i think a couple of other news outlets also used that AMA on Reddit uh, and published some small articles about this. Yeah, so uh, I think he uh, he was pleasantly surprised, but he would name it differently. I think after John Wick, but um, I can explain why we didn't do that, but uh, only if you're interested in this. Of course, I'm interested. This is like this is top nerdy stuff. I love this. So why yeah, I think. <laughs> I think it was, it's just like a phonetical thing. So um, okay. what you usually do is uh, if you have a new compound, but um, there's like a parent compound uh, that was already discovered and is kind of like the placeholder for this natural product class, um, you usually always use the ending of this name. So in this case, it's syringomycin. So that was the first compound of that class, which is kind of similar to our um, structures. So you usually go with mycin and most other people just up, in my opinion, uh, don't think too much about it and just use the species name of the bacterium they find and then say uh, blah, 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 mycin. Um, and usually what you do is, I think because it makes phonetically more sense, you, you need a vowel at the end of the first part. And if you just imagine it like John Wick mycin doesn't really roll off the tongue. It's like 
ending on an N with you know on a K with John Wick Meissen, it just in my opinion yeah, doesn't it really is it's sounds that great like a and, mother in a small town calling her kid for dinner like yeah John Wick kind of yeah 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 it uh, doesn't so that's why uh, we were really yeah I mean it was great that Keanu's name is Keanu because it ends on a vowel and Keanu Meissen is just it flows yeah flows better so yeah, no license, yeah. our our title of the paper is very scientific and we didn't um, follow any rule how to do an interesting title for a scientific paper but in that case um, with the naming of the compound we we tried to follow kind of um yeah some style points and uh yeah no i think it's that's great. why we named it Keanu. Hmm. and it makes sense like what i know about um well, what we all read about Keanu Reeves, he's a nice guy. So he probably wouldn't want anything like named after him. He's like, you know, cause he's humble. So mm. that's what everybody says anyways. I never met him, but um, I think this is cool. And it's it's great because it was able to create all this buzz for you guys and maybe get people thinking about this kind of stuff, right? Like the mm. antimicrobial crisis and the crops and the fungal infections that we'll have to fight now and in the future. Um, scary to think about. If yeah, but, science, the, yeah. but there's hope. So um <laughs> there's hope. <laughs> not only yeah, yeah, not only <laughs> That's so good. it's not only our research, but a lot of people um either at our institute or universities and institute worldwide are uh looking into that problem. And I think um also uh, for example, EU regulators are also working on this. So most people are actually aware of it and they try to fight it, but um there may be still a period where we have to suffer a couple of consequences for our behavior in the last couple of decades. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of um and this is something I like I worked on in um, public health school, like the factors leading to emerging infectious diseases. And a, a lot has to do with, you know, how we interact with our environment and what we do. Mm. So um, us being better stored, so to speak, uh, is, is a good thing, I think. So next steps, what, what are you working on like right now? Do you have any more papers, um, in the pipeline coming out? Um, yeah, we've, we've got some things. Um, those are, I would say a bit more, um, yeah, scientifically oriented, also have kind of a microbial ecological context. Um, and we also have some collaborations where we look at natural products in a completely different uh, way and what they can do. And my main focus at the moment is actually the synthetic part, like trying to um, synthesize different molecules that look like keanomycin, but are a bit different uh, and also like synthetically easier to access. Um, yeah, to find maybe um, an improved version of the keanomycins um, that can be actually further developed and go into uh, in animal testings. Okay, okay, um, that's uh, very interesting. And are you guys go are you going to see uh, John Wick four? Is that out? I don't even know when that it's it's uh, coming. Yeah, so um, uh, it already premiered in London, and I oh. think uh, also they they there's another premiere in LA and um okay. we will so everybody who was involved in this project um uh because we haven't really celebrated the paper yet um but i invited everybody um uh who was involved um to join me for john wick 4 but we're not going to be there like on day of release because then theaters may be too crowded so 
we already have the tickets, but um, Me too. Yeah. Oh, that's that's nice, like a, a lab field trip, so to speak. Yep. Nice. That's great. Well, Sebastian, this was great. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this, and I I learned a lot too. Um, that's great. So I hope uh, I made sense, and you made uh, sense, everything yes. was kind of understandable. So yes. Um, and it's funny when I was like coming up with questions for this, I'm like, uh, oh, you know, I'll do the best I can, but you did a really great job of breaking it down, um, and helping us understand it. So, um, I do appreciate that. Enjoy the rest of your day there or afternoon, I guess now. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, also thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me and give us the opportunity and yeah, looking forward, probably going to listen to this podcast, um, myself. Awesome. Well, I hope you do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then have a great day too. Thank you. Thank you. I got to call the dog spa now and uh, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> go over Good the specifics for Barnaby's <laughs> haircut. Yes. Important things in life. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining in to today's episode. I hope you guys liked it and will consider subscribing, sharing, telling your friends, your foes, random people you pass on the street. Um, you know, just go up to someone and say, hey, I think you should listen to Causes or Cures. <laughs> hey, a girl can drink. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or know the meaning of life, please email me through my website, one of them anyhow, at bloomingwellness.com. Um, and I also write the blog there, but I don't write all of the blogs. Some of the blogs are just advertisement links, um, and all the ones I write, I put my name on, but some of them are just awful. Uh, you know, they're just written for SEO and nothing else. And there might be links in those to who knows what, um, like a dentist office in the boonies or something like that. But, um, those blogs are in the ad category and, I mean, you could read them if you want, but usually they're pretty bad. Um, but they help support Barnaby, my dog's treat fund, and his expensive haircuts at the dog salon. <laughs> um, okay, I digress as usual. Um, now it's time for the closing quote. This is from Pope John Paul II, who I share a birthday with. Uh, yeah. And let me tell you, that was a bragging point in Catholic school. Um, yeah, so hey, uh, I share a birthday with the Pope. You sure you want to give me detention, Sister? Sister Stella? Sister Rosellen? Um, those nuns were tough. Um, anyways, religious or not, this is a quote about taking care of the earth that I think we can all connect to. Okay, so here it goes. The earth will not continue to offer its harvest, except with faithful stewardship. We cannot say we love the land and then take steps to destroy it for use by future generations. Take care of the earth. Okay, that's it for this episode, guys, and hopefully see you here next time. Go out there, do good things, and have a good day. Okay, bye-bye.